It's Monday, September 10th, and this is The Daily Dive. The mystery is still alive as questions continue to swirl about who the anonymous senior administration official is. The main question seems to be how senior is this anonymous person and how much influence do they have over the president? Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for more on this, the return of President Obama, and a wrap-up of the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Next, the Justice Department has announced that it will be investigating social media companies and their alleged political bias amid claims from the president and others that they are stifling conservative voices. Companies like Facebook and Twitter are giants in the social media game and do have a big stronghold in this form of communication. Kevin Collier, cybersecurity correspondent for BuzzFeed News, joins us to discuss the DOJ investigation and Alex Jones being banned by Twitter. Finally, with all this talk about political voices being suppressed and social media companies and the algorithms that decide what you see, do you actually know how your Facebook newsfeed works? A new study says that over half of users don't know how it all works. Mike Snyder, money and tech reporter for USA Today, fills us in on how your newsfeed works and how to make it give you more of the news you want. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. To have an individual who took that oath literally say that they work every day to frustrate the president advancing the agenda he was elected to advance is undemocratic. It's not just deceitful, but it's really an assault on our democracy. And that person should do the honorable thing, step forward and resign. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Last week, the New York Times published their big anonymous op-ed and everybody went crazy, scrambling to try to find out who did it, who wrote it. Um, scrambling to issue a denial. It's still the buzz. Everybody wants to know who did this. Let's start off, though, Ginger. What's your take on the whole thing? This is really unprecedented, having the country's largest newspaper publish an anonymous op-ed attacking the president. We haven't really seen anything like this before. And this op-ed claims to be coming from someone inside the administration. So one could not even imagine what kind of reaction we would be getting had this been in the Bush White House or the Obama White House. But what is the most surprising maybe of all of this is we maybe didn't learn that much from this op-ed. Right. We've known that there's a lot of turmoil and chaos inside the White House. And we just had that affirmed to us again. We learned in the Woodward book, which is out on Tuesday, that there are people actively working to undermine the president inside the White House. And this was just more confirmation that that is, in fact, taking place. Specifically in the Woodward book, uh, swiping things off of the president's desk so that he wouldn't sign things. If he's trying to accomplish his agenda and everything and people are undermining him that way, that's pretty serious. That's right. The president, his trade positions, imposing tariffs, trying to cancel trade deals are pretty outside of the norm of Republican politics, pretty counter to what Republicans have been saying they support for a long time now. And we've seen what we're told happened was that to keep him from doing those things, they were just taking the papers off of his desk that would have allowed him to cancel some trade deals. I guess what's more remarkable is that it worked. I can't imagine having someone take something off my desk and then me just never thinking about it again. <laughs> right, and right. Like, not going back to it. I think Bob Woodward had said something in an interview that for the president, if it's not the top of mind and it's not immediately on his desk and it's not immediately actionable, then he'll forget about it. 
And we do know, too, that presidents are often swayed by the last person in the room. And so when the paper's not there to sway him, uh, you may forget about <laughs> right. it. And the big question with who this anonymous person is, is how senior is this senior administration official? CNN looked into a bunch of potential things. They said that it could be hundreds, if not thousands of people, because there's cabinet secretaries. And then there's their secretaries, their assistant secretaries, chiefs of staffs, deputy chiefs of staffs. There's tons of people that could be, quote unquote, a senior administration official. There are 1,200 people who have to be confirmed by the Senate in order to have their job in the administration. And that's often a measure used to determine the word senior. In addition to that, there's non-approved but still very senior positions inside the White House. If you think about Kellyanne Conway or Sarah Huckabee Sanders, all of them would be considered senior and they're not Senate approved. So there are hundreds of people that this could be. I think that some of us are going to have to take a bit of trust in New York Times that this really in fact, was a senior person and a person in a position to make these assertions. Right. It's going to be really damaging for the times if it's not somebody immediately recognizable. They could still hold a pretty high level there, but people are saying, does it pass the household name test? If it's somebody that nobody knows, I mean, it's still going to be kind of damaging. Well, the household name test is a really hard one. The household, the average person doesn't know very many, even the cabinet secretary's names we know from polling, but probably needs to pass the like reporters who, who cover Washington. I don't know all 1200 Senate confirm appointees in right. the administration, but I would imagine whoever it is would be likely someone that I would know. Former President Obama made a splash under the scene last week, delivering a critique of President Trump. He's out there trying to raise awareness for Democrats running for House seats. What do we make of his return? This is the sign that campaign season is in full swing as Labor Day has lapsed and we head towards the November elections. President Obama has been really quiet. We know the many on the left have wanted him to be more critical of President Trump, but he said he would help Democrats who are running for office in these midterms. And he came out swinging. We've seen presidents in the past who have left office and then stumped for their own party. So this isn't outside of the norm of what a past president has done. But given the sort of division and anger about President Trump. I think that's why a lot more people were paying attention to what Barack Obama had to say this week and, and calling Trump out specifically by name. Right. Let's wrap up the uh, Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Some of the more exciting parts were when protesters dressed up as Handmaid's Tale characters were interrupting the process and you can see him not necessarily stumble, but pause, let the action die down a little bit and then resume his answers. It was pretty chaotic at points, but he's going to be confirmed along party lines. It is highly unlikely that his nomination would be defeated. We should feel very confident that it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, if not in the next week, that he'll gain approval from the Senate. He only needs 50 votes. He will likely get them just Republicans, although the big question will be whether or not any Democrats in red states, senators like Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota, Joe Donnelly in Indiana, Claire McCaskill in Missouri, opt to vote in favor of him. They're all facing real really hard re-elections this year. And this is the kind of thing that they could go home and say, look, I'm I'm reasonable. I'm willing to work across the aisle. I voted for the Republican nominee for the, the Supreme Court. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The allegation that we make, the Republicans, is that you're discriminatory against us, against the Republicans. We agree that the result was not impartial, and that is why we, we corrected it and we fixed it. So you do agree that there were more Republicans than Democrats? 
I didn't say that, but I, 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 I do. I do. Agree. Well, you can't have it both ways. sir. Joining us now is Kevin Collier, cybersecurity correspondent for BuzzFeed News. So we learned some news that after multiple provocations, Twitter is actually going to ban Alex Jones and Infowars. There had been multiple things that had been going on where, you know, he was straddling the line. I think Twitter just said, hey, just delete your stuff. You're OK. But after the COO of Facebook and CEO of Twitter were testifying before Congress, he went up and uh, threw up some Periscope videos, put them on Twitter of him like harassing a reporter. And they said, we had enough. You're banned now. What do we know about all this stuff? Alex Jones has kind of towed these lines of of what he can get away with without violating various websites' terms of service for a while. He's been effectively deplatformed now from, I think, every major social media company. Right. So Apple, he, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify even. Yeah, that's right. And even though he has claimed otherwise, stats from visits to his platform show that he's hurting in terms of page views and attention now. So this is a blow to him. As I mentioned, these uh, Twitter and Facebook officials were testifying before Congress about what they're doing to prevent further election interfering and everything. But they did also answer questions about bias in how they present things in their newsfeed or shutting out conservative voices. So the banning of Alex Jones will probably intensify that even more. And on top of that, we're learning that the U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is also going to do some type of investigation into this, into how these companies are might be stifling some of these voices. That's right. This past Wednesday, the Department of Justice announced that Sessions was going to be meeting with several states' attorneys general to talk about whether there was some sort of anti-competitive monopoly in how these social networks present or allow different political stances online. I think some of the wording that they used was saying that there's concern that these companies may be hurting competition and intentionally stifling the free exchange of ideas on their platforms. Right. A lot of the current rhetoric coming from Republicans describing bias against them in social media stems from a Vice News report in July that said that conservatives, some prominent conservatives on Twitter had been shadow banned from the service. That's not usually what shadow banning means, but what they referred to is a fair number of prominent Republican figures were all not, they wouldn't populate when you would try to type in their name. It's some Democrats as well, but more Republicans, it seems. But Twitter's explanation of why that was is that it had nothing to do with a conscious choice. It was actually people who followed those conservatives on Twitter being abusive on their platform. And I think that's kind of the crux of a lot of times when you see claims of conservative bias or anti-conservative bias on social media is there are some bad actors who tend to affiliate themselves with these politics. And it kind of puts social media companies who want to police bad activity on their platforms uh, in a bind. Right. They said that it was an algorithmic decision. It makes it less intuitive to find some of these users, as you were saying, who intend to manipulate or divide the conversation. So that's why some of those people maybe didn't show up or got pushed down. This is also on the heels of the president calling out Google for hiding search results and things like that. But, you know, it makes a little bit of sense. Facebook and Twitter are these giants in social media and people are saying they have a monopoly on this particular form of communication. So if conservative voices or things like that are being pushed down, then maybe they need to do something to tweak that. So far, do we know of any states that are going to be involved with Jeff Sessions and, and his meeting about this investigation? 
On Thursday, Texas became the first state to publicly acknowledge that, yes, they were indeed involved, that, that yes, this is an issue that matters to their office, these allegations of bias against conservatives. I think the crux of the idea is that they think conservative voices are both stifled on current social media, and it's hard to imagine you or I or anyone creating a competitor to Facebook or Twitter right now. I mean, they are, they do have a real lock on how we interact online. I guess the thought process is, well, we got to work with what we have. So the future thing is what people are thinking might happen is a regulation of these companies and how they push these results out to people. What's going to come of an investigation such as this? And then how are they going to force companies to put those other voices back up there? How this would play out legally, I don't even want to speculate. I, it sounds like, like remarkably difficult. I, I do think it makes sense that if you think of these things on a federal level, it would be really hard to imagine the political willpower to conduct such an investigation. But in certain states where there are no tech companies, no real presence where Google or, or Facebook or, or Twitter has no physical presence, and you do have voters who support this, I can see there being the political will from individual states wanting to at least roll the dice with this. When is this meeting going to happen with Jeff Sessions and the other attorney generals? September 25th. Okay, so it's on its way and we'll get some more news about this pretty soon. Kevin Collier, cybersecurity correspondent for BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. And our mission on Newsfeed is to connect people with the stories that matter to them most. And to do this, we use a tool called Ranking. Ranking is a set of algorithms that we use to try to assess how interested people are in each and every story that they could see on Facebook. Joining us now is Mike Snyder, money and tech reporter for USA Today. We're going to be talking about Facebook. The COO of Facebook and the CEO of Twitter were just on Capitol Hill. They were testifying about what they're doing to avoid more election meddling and whatnot. But there was also talk of how they censor conservative voices on their platforms. It struck me that a lot of people don't really know how any of this stuff works. It happened already a couple weeks ago with Google. The president said, if you look up Trump news, a lot of the stuff isn't coming up. A lot of the good news isn't coming up. And there was a discussion, well, how does Google rank their web searches? And the same thing happens with Twitter and Facebook's newsfeed. So we wanted to talk to Mike about how the Facebook newsfeed actually works. What do we know about this? Well, obviously, yes, Facebook and the other social media and, and online information sources are under a lot of pressure these days. And in the wake of all the things that happened at Facebook with the privacy concerns over the Cambridge Analytica thing where people's information got potentially misused to the the manipulation by fake accounts and and criminal-linked news sources over the last 18 months or so, earlier this year, CEO Mark Zuckerberg said, we're going to relook at the at the newsfeed to try to emphasize people in your community, your friends and your family over what had become, you know, really a place to get news and to share news and to share what some people call fake news or false news. Um, It's become such a reliable source for people to get news that that was how it was manipulated is that people were given news that sometimes is right or wrong. So what they aren't giving you a lot of specifics, but they say you can affect what you see in your newsfeed by liking something or putting a comment. And then the algorithm that takes care of what you see in your newsfeed 
takes that into account. So that doesn't tell you a lot of specifics. And honestly, <laughs> right. if they tried to tell me how the algorithm worked, I'd probably have smoke coming out of my ears. But, right. And, and that's um, one of their secrets also. I mean, they keep that stuff. It's a proprietary secret. They're not going to just outright tell you what's in our algorithm. And obviously, this is a big business. It's not just Facebook doesn't connect you to your friends and family just for the good of their soul. While that may have been initially some people's altruistic ideas, it's a big business because they, you can get advertising and things like that on, on the network. And if people want to change what's in their newsfeed, you know, I try to give links in the story I have on usatoday.com in the text section if people want to look. But you can go in and upgrade some things you would like to see, people you would like to see, and pages you might want to see or things you might not want to see. Right. So you and, do have a little bit of work, and they're going to keep doing, supposedly they're going to keep doing this throughout the year. Pew Research Center did a poll where they said 53%, more than half of users, don't know how the newsfeed works at all and where all that stuff is coming from. The experts I talked to said that was not news to them, and people that read my story and commented online said that was not news to them. And I guess I probably was part of that cohort that would say I didn't really know either. You know, I learned a little bit more by doing the story. The problem with that for Facebook is if people don't understand how it uses, they can get frustrated, right. and that could you lead to them leaving. The other finding they, that Pew had in its survey of they talked to more than 4,000 people and more than 3,500 of them or so were Facebook users. They said that they had taken a break from Facebook. Right. 20% or so said they had left in the last 12 months or they had deleted the app from their cell phone. Now, that doesn't mean they don't get on Facebook on a computer or they didn't go right. back. Facebook does try to at least tell you how to manage your newsfeed. And for a lot of conservatives where this has become a rallying cry that, you know, conservative voices are getting stifled, a lot of the legwork does have to be done by you also. I mean, you have mm -hmm. to add the right outlets, you know, mm -hmm. things that you want to see more, uh, add certain people, add right. those news outlets. And then those things, you know, you click and you share on those things. It's all about the interaction that you mm -hmm. do. And then those things will start populating more in your news feeds. Certainly. Pew didn't get into the idea of whether there was any bias here. I mean, Facebook, of course, says they are not biased. The one finding that Pew had about Republicans or Democrats was there was no difference if they identify with being a Republican or a Democrat. They, there was no difference in their understanding of the site or they're taking breaks from the site. And as you said, if you like pages and people who put up political content about whatever cause or whatever party, you should see more of that. So it's kind of interesting to hear how concerns that they're being biased. As someone who is a journalist, and, and, I, and I guess I call myself a moderate, though there aren't many of us anymore, I, I mean, I see pretty much a good share of commentary and postings across the political spectrum. Yeah, I agree. You know, we're in the news game, too. We follow a lot of sources, so you see a lot of different things. In one of the links you put specifically, Facebook has a video inside their feed, basically, and, and how they say they use their ranking system is they have an inventory of stories you haven't seen. They use signals such as how old the story is, who posted it, and then whether you're going to click on it and share it. And then they'll make those predictions and they'll give you that stuff in your newsfeed. So I'm sure there are some things that they can tweak, but this is going to be an ongoing conversation, especially considering there's news now that the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, is getting with attorney generals from 
a variety of states to look into what these algorithms and what these processes are like. This happened earlier when Mr. Zuckerberg and other execs went to Capitol Hill. There was the thought that there would be some kind of regulation in the future. And you could probably expect that. It'll be interesting how that changes the user experience because, you know, this is it's a fine balance here. Of There's a lot of good in Facebook, but they also have to answer to some of this stuff. The experts I've talked to from my reporting said they need to be more accountable and they need to be more transparent. And they've said they're working on that. Mike Snyder, money and tech reporter for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Oscar. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.